Well, thank you for praying for me. Yeah, you're okay. Right. Good. Let's uh, let's just pray. <clears throat> Jesus, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together this morning and joining with your people all around the world today, as your people in hundreds of countries and hundreds of languages and dialects worship the risen Lord Jesus this morning. What a great privilege. We join with those who are worshiping in hidden places that are not allowed to open worship, openly worship. We worship with those who are, in, who are pastors who are in prison today for their faith. We, we worship today, Lord, with people who are hungry in Venezuela but are still gathered to worship you. We worship you, Jesus. We join with the worldwide body of Christ this morning, and we enter into your presence, and we thank you, Lord, that you are with us, that you are with us. And so, Lord, as we look at your word this morning, as we enter into your presence today, continue to enter into your presence today, we ask that you would do all that you want to do this morning in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, I am nervous this morning. I don't know why, I, <clears throat> but I have felt nervous all morning long. Um, but what I want to share today um, is uh, something that means very much to me. And um, it is about our identity in Christ. And um, what does it mean to really be in Christ, to be formed, to become like Jesus, <coughs> To become, to become like Jesus. What, a, what an outrageous statement. To become like Jesus. But this is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we are being formed into the image of Jesus Christ. How in the world does that happen? We asked earlier, um, what does, Bill asked earlier, what does the kingdom of God look like? What is it? And um, I'm, when somebody asks that question, I always listen very carefully because I want to know what do people say about that. And so all the responses were some of the most common responses that we hear. Well, it's righteousness, peace, and joy. It's the glory of God. You know, it is, it is the expression of who God is on the earth. Um, but, you know, it is so, the kingdom of God is so huge and encompasses so many things, it's hard to put it into words. Before the service started today, I spoke with our visitors and asked him, what kind of work do you do? He says, well, I work for a pharmaceutical firm, and we do clinical trials and to help me- life-saving medicines get approved. Guess what? God cares about health care, and the kingdom of God is alive and well in the health care system. And working on pharmaceuticals as a believer, knowing that that is your vocation, God has called you to that, and you are making sure that people are safe when they take medicines, that is as sacred as it comes. Wayne Bueller working in horticulture, looking at crop production so that people have food to eat. Does God care that people have food to eat? Yes, he does. Is God happy that people are starving to death? No, he's not. 
He's grieving when people don't have enough to eat because God created a world that has the capacity to produce food for everybody. And the original plan was that no one would go without food to eat. So that is a sacred vocation. Working in information technology and sitting in front of a computer screen all day um, is sacred because it has to do with innovation and creativity. It has to do now with today's world cybersecurity. Is God's kingdom, does it extend to cybersecurity? Yes, it does. Because does God care about justice? Yes, he does. And when people are hacking into our accounts and stealing money and defrauding people, God is not happy about those things. So God's kingdom is a multifaceted. It is him. It is who God is extended into every facet of life. Every domain of society and whatever God has called you to be a part of, whatever God has called you to do as a vocation, as a parent, as um, as a counselor, um, as a mother, as a grandmother, as a grandfather, whatever vocation God has called you to, it is sacred. It's sacred. If you're not doing it, if you're not, as long as you're not doing something immoral, okay, you know, what the vocations that God calls us to, they are sacred vocations. Homemakers, educators. Um, uh, the, our Korean brother back there is studying ecosystems. Is God concerned about ecosystems? You better believe it because he created it. God created the ecosystem. And he expects us to take care of it because he told Adam and Eve that they would have stewardship over his creation. He cares about the ecosystem. So often we have a limited perspective of what the kingdom is. And often when, often when I hear messages about the kingdom, it always is the, the more obvious spiritual side of the kingdom. You know, it's the, it's the ministry trip to Peru, you know, which is wonderful. And it, and it, but it also, when you go to Peru, you're going to go to Peru, and you're going to meet people that work in all of these areas. And you have a dental clinic, and and so the kingdom of God is going right, wants to come right into the dental clinic in Peru, where people are actually getting proper treatment. God cares about those things. So you know, I was thinking this morning as we were worshiping and. You know, um, I gave my life to Christ when I was 99 years old. It was very real. I will never forget it. It was not, as you mo- most of you could guess, at my personality, it was not an emotional experience. I wasn't weeping or wailing at nine years of age. I was sitting in a Sunday school class, and I had been brought up in church, and we were <laughs> listening to another story about Jesus. And the thought came into my mind as a nine-year-old, Jesus is real. And so I prayed. And I gave my life to Jesus right there on the spot. I went home and I told my parents that I had become a Christian. And they said, sweetie, you're too young to understand what that means. And we think you ought to wait for a while. The next morning, I got on my bicycle and I pedaled down to the church. And I knocked on the pastor's door. I was nine years old. And I said, Pastor, I'd like you to come talk to my parents. I have, I have, I would like to be, I would like to become a Christian and follow Jesus, and they think I'm too young. He came to our house. 
He talked with my parents. I was in the room, and the pastor said, I think she really does understand. And my parents said, okay, then you can become a Christian. <laughs> it was an extremely real experience for me. I, met, I, I sincerely believed in Jesus, and I have believed in him ever since. Um, but what I noticed was, you know, and I was a very enthusiastic little Christian, too. I would tell everybody, all my friends about Jesus. I remember when I was at, uh, 13 years old and I was in the seventh grade, we had to do a book report in my English class. And my book report is, was on the 2,000-year-old revolutionary Jesus. And the teacher about fell over. Um, you know, because I got up to give my presentation and I teared up and I was talking about Jesus and how, what, how revolutionary he was and about his kingdom. And I was very, very committed to Christ. But there was, but then I bumped into an obstacle. And this is the obstacle. I went to a church and they preached salvation every Sunday, but they didn't talk much about how to grow in Christ. And so every Sunday I heard the same gospel message, which is a wonderful message. But I, as I became a teenager, I thought, I'd like to hear something a little bit more. How can I actually grow up as a Christian? I know I have a new identity. I belong to Jesus now. I'm a Christian. But what does that mean for my dating life? What does that mean for me when I go to school and people make fun of me? What does that mean for me in terms of what am I going to become as an adult when I start going to college and I'm choosing a career? What, what, what does this mean for me? And so I started realizing, you know, in my teenage years that the, there was a gap between becoming a Christian and becoming formed in Christ, growing in Christ. And I really didn't know how to do it. And I fumbled along and, and tried to do the best that I knew how to do. And I often felt guilty, you know, when I made bad choices. But I really sincerely didn't have very much teaching about how do you grow in Christ. And I think this is, we, you know, this is so very vital. As Pat prayed this morning for the young people going to Peru, she was praying that they would have an encounter with Jesus that would transform their lives, that would put a deep anchor, a root system down deep in their lives that would hold them in the midst of a culture and society today that is very anti-Jesus. And so just getting saved is not enough. Just getting saved is the very beginning of our life with Jesus. We have to grow or else we will not even have a clue what the kingdom of God is. We will think that you just get saved and then you hold on for dear life until you just go to heaven when you die. But there is so much more to the Christian life than that. And so last week, if you weren't here, I would really... Um, uh, encourage you to listen to Randy Durham's message. He gave a wonderful message on the love of God. And I wanted to just quickly recap this because Randy was sharing last week. He said, you know, God doesn't need us, but he wants us. He chooses us. He's, he's the one who decided to make human beings. God made that decision. Um, and so the love of God is so amazing and he, not only did he make us, but he made us in his image. Can you imagine? We are little image bearers of God running around on the earth. 
We are image bearers of God. What does that mean? That means that when people look at us and we say we belong to Jesus, we belong to God, we believe in God, they're looking at our lives to say, well, what difference did it make? What difference does it make that you belong to God? What kind of image of God are we reflecting to other people in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our family life? I remember growing up, and, and I grew up in a family that took me to church every Sunday, and I loved, my pa- I loved my parents, I loved my daddy. But I can tell you that <clears throat> I went to church on Sunday, and then during the week, you know, because of some dysfunctional things in my parents' marriage, my father often gave us the silent treatment. And if he got angry, he wouldn't talk to us. He wouldn't touch us. He wouldn't look at us. As a little girl growing up in a family like that, I got a very mixed message about who God is. I thought, wow, if I make a mistake, is God going to go silent on me? Is he going to ignore me? Is he going to, you know, just cut me off like my dad does? Because guess what? When you're a child, who is your picture of God? It's your parents. And so I, coming into my adolescence, I had a real conflict. I thought, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. But, you know, I just don't see a lot of times, I don't see a lot of fruit in people's lives who call themselves Christians. I remember a Christian guy in our church, and he was a repairman. And this was, I was in my 20s. And he ripped me off. And I went to the pastor and I said, this is a man in your church. And he just ripped me off. (laughs) And um, the pastor didn't quite know what to do with me. But I thought, well, you know what? This isn't right. I mean, you know, if you're a Christian, you're really a Christian, and you're a Christian businessman, then you shouldn't be ripping people off, especially people in your church. (laughs) So, um, so, you know, I'm going to just skip down a little bit here. Um, Skip over for these things. But... um, yeah, here we go. So, you know, when the original plan, sorry, um, okay, the original plan, in, when God made us and he made Adam and Eve, he made, he, it was a perfect world. Heaven and earth were com- com- integrated. There was no separation between heaven and earth in the garden. None. It was one integrated kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's where God is. It's where he is. There was one integrated kingdom of God, and Adam and Eve walked with God on a daily basis. Now, I'm, I'm, uh, this microphone uh, is interesting. I'm going to have to... I always walk around, move around a lot when I'm teaching, but I'll try to stay close. And, but they, um, there were four perfect relationships in the garden. God to humans, human to human, Adam and Eve. There was no brokenness in their relationship. There was no shame. There was no blame. There was no anger. There was no fear. They were completely vulnerable with one another. There was a perfect relationship between humans and the created order. Adam and Eve had a relationship with the animals. There was no murder. They were vegetarians. They didn't kill animals. Um, and, um, and animals didn't kill humans. 
It was perfect. It was the it was this beautiful ecosystem that was holistic and beautiful and integrated. And even with Adam and Eve, with them, their own personal selves, there was perfect relationship. Four beautiful relationships. It was perfect. Heaven on earth connected. Isn't that sound good? Mm-hmm. Folks, that's the way it was. That was the original intention. And why did God do it? Because he said, I'm going to have we the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, the Blessed Trinity, they already had relationship with each other. They didn't need humans, but they chose to make humans and said, we are going to share our love with humans. We are going to have a people. We are going, there is going to be a family of God. That was the original intention. And at the fall, everything fell to pieces. And so when the, when the fall happened, sorry, I, the effect of the fall. Yeah, that's, ex- that's exactly right. The effect of the fall. Uh, go up, up. There's, there it is. At the fall. Everything. Thank you. Everything is. That's kind of you, Bill. Thank you. Everything is broken. There's all of a sudden there. People are they're afraid of each other. They're afraid of God. They're blaming each other. There's a curse that comes upon everything. And this wonderful integration of heaven and earth is now broken. And now you have heaven and earth, and they're separated from each other. They're separated. And so now there is this horrible um, brokenness, and there's death that comes over everything. And there's, this is a, a Latin term. It's called incurvatus in se, which means we are the humans now at the fall become turned in on themselves. Instead of being turned outward towards God and others, we are turned in on ourselves. We are curved inward. That's the brokenness. And, and that has to be reversed. That has to be reversed because that's still exactly how we are today. Humans, human nature, curved in on ourselves, sinful. Go down to the next one. But so, but God, but God says, I'm out of His love and mercy. God says, I'm not going to let them get stuck like that. So before they could eat from the tree of life and be stuck that way forever, He cast them out of the garden. I'm giving you a little theology 101. He cast them out of the garden. Okay. And then God is on a, has this, the redemptive plan. Let's go to the next one. God loves and pursues. He is not going to give up on his plan to have a people who love him. He is not going to give up on human beings. He, he you know, we had the flood, but he, he still kept a remnant. He's not going to give up on the, his image bearers. He is a God of love and he is a God who at the core of his existence is love. Even when he has to bring judgment, he's bringing it out of love because he loves us. He wants us. He chooses us. And so he loves and pursues. And the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, is the one who is going, the one who comes to make it all right again. So let's go down to the next one. So Jesus came as our redeemer. So 
And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. And then there's the third person of the Godhead. Okay, go down to the next one. This is the Holy Spirit who comes to give us the power to change. The Ascension Day, Jesus' Ascension back to heaven, was just celebrated in the church calendar last week. And this coming next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday, where we remember that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, to give us the power to change. And in Acts, the very last thing Jesus said before he went up into the clouds was, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and the ends of the earth. And after that, he was taken up. You will receive power. Power to do what? Power to change. Power to become more and more like Jesus. To reflect the kingdom. And so, um, so, so now here's the big question for this morning. How do we change? How do we change? And so I want to invite you to look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. This is one of my favorite uh, passages. Um, and it says, Paul is writing to the Colossians and he is Thanking them, thanking, being giving thanks that they have placed their faith in Jesus. And this is what he says to them in verse 9. He says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has, now listen, this is the key verse, folks. He has, Jesus, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Can you go down to the next slide? Next, next one. There you go. Look at this. Look at this chart, folks. He has, when we become believers in Jesus, we decide to follow Jesus. We have been transferred. That's what Paul wrote. We have been <clears throat> transferred from this kingdom to the next kingdom. The domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now then he goes on to talk about in um, he goes on to talk about what that looks like, okay? And he says things like this: You've been transferred from being alienated from God. You've been transferred from being hostile in mind, evil deeds, hopelessness, dead in your trespasses, the bondage that you've been in. It's, the Bible calls it the old self. He says, when you believe in Jesus, who has canceled your debt by his death and on the cross and his resurrection, you have been transferred into the kingdom of light. And in the kingdom of light, we have a new identity. And that means you are forgiven, redeemed, holy, accepted, made alive, freedom, hidden with Christ in God. It's called the new self. 
And you see that cross right there in the middle. When someone comes to Jesus, they have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Does that mean they never sin anymore? No. Pardon? I wish. No, it does not mean that. But it does mean something. It means that we have a new identity. A new identity, folks. And it means, and I want to just, but just take a look at this chart again. There is this amazing transfer, folks. And But many times, people are wavering. People who truly are Christians are often thinking they're still over here because they're struggling with their lives. They're struggling with change. They're struggling with their own sinfulness. But folks, the Bible is clear. A transfer has happened. We still sin, but we are over here. We now belong to the kingdom of light. And God is at work in our lives, at work in our hearts, through the power of the Holy Spirit to change us to become more and more like Jesus. Go to the next one, Bill. We have a new identity, folks. Sons and daughters of God. Yes, we still sin. But our primary identity is son and daughter of God. Yes, we still sin. But God is at work in our lives. And he is changing us. He is forming us. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. And we respond to him. We are forgiven. The Lord changes us. But I know that for many, many times I have often... You know, when we read the struggle that Paul writes about in Romans 7 and 8, you know, oh, wretched man that I am, I do what I don't want to do. The things I don't want to do, I do them. How many can relate to that? Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, you know. But then in, and then he ends it, he says, but who will rescue me? Who will rescue me? And chapter 8, he says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus who will rescue. Jesus is not going to give up on you. He's not going to give up on you. He's not going to give up on me. So here's the big question, folks. Um, We have this new identity. So now the next slide. Here's the question. Do we really believe it? Do we really believe it? This is a... I just recently read a pamphlet by the last teaching that Richard Foster gave. And Richard Foster is the man who wrote Celebration of Discipline back in the 70s. Um, he 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 was very involved with the uh, Christian formation, spiritual formation. And this is one of the things he said, one of the last, last published message that he gave. He said, Our world today cries out for a theology of spiritual growth that has been proven to work in the midst of the harsh realities of daily life. In other words, is change possible? Because a lot of Christians don't even believe that it is. They just want to hold on to their salvation ticket and go to heaven when they die. They don't really believe that they can change. He says, Sadly, many have given up on the possibility of growth in character formation. Some well-meaning Christians believe that heaven is their only release from this world of sin and rebellion. They sit in the church pew year after year without a millimeter of movement towards and forward in the spiritual life. This is true, folks. This is true. There are millions of Christians sitting in church pews who don't really believe that they can change. They know they're saved. They believe they're going to heaven when they die, but they do not believe that you can really change. They go, well, I do the best I can. 
I'm human after all. Jesus, while well, he was God. I mean, I've heard, I've heard all of those. St- I've said them myself. I can't change. I can't change. But folks, change is spiritual growth. Change is spiritual growth. You know, I was thinking this morning as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, wow, thank you, God, that he brought me to Raleigh and he brought me to the singles group at Mount Olivet that Pat and Greg used to lead. I hope that after they've known me for 30-some years, I hope they can say that there have been some positive changes. (laughs) And I know that there are many more changes that need to take place, but I would hope that their testimony would be, yes, Camille has changed. Um, And I can look at, you know, I can look at lives of people in this room that I've known for many years, and I can say, wow, they've really changed in that category. Well, they, I've really seen I've really seen change in that person. I've seen you change, Susan, in in the in the last few years. You know, the much greater freedom in your life. I've I've seen Amanda, amazing change in your life, and I know where it came from. It came from the power of God at work in their life, and it came through choices that they made, choices to work with God to see change take place. Folks, it is possible. So do we really believe it? And the the next one. And here, and then he also goes on to say, and yet, echoing down through the centuries is a great company of witnesses telling us of a life vastly richer and deeper and fuller. People that have discovered that real, solid, substantive transformation into the likeness of Jesus is doable, realizable, it's possible. I mean, you just think about the disciples. They were cowering in fear in a little room with locked doors after Jesus died. And after the Holy Spirit came upon them, what did you see him do? Man, they're out on the streets. They're preaching. They're, they're not, they don't care if they get arrested. They're not afraid anymore. They've been transformed. Something happened. Now, are they perfect? No. Do they still sin? Yes. Are they prejudiced against Gentiles? Yes. You know, um, do they still have many issues? Yes. But they've been delivered. They've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and they are different people. They are different people. If we're really Christians, people should be able to look at our lives and say, wow, there's something different about you. There's something different. You know, I, was, I joined a book club recently because uh, I love to read and I love to discuss books. And it's not a Christian book club. I found it on the Internet. I thought it looked interesting, so I joined it. And uh, they're reading really interesting books. And one book they read was on um, the, uh, the, the Holocaust. And I thought, well, this will be interesting. So I read the book and I went to the meeting. And I'm telling you, these were about 15 ladies it's all, it's all ladies. Yeah, I know. And, uh, and um, they were all, and I don't think, I don't know if any of them are believers. But you know what? They started talking about how can one human do that to another human? How could that happen? And, and, and then, and I was just listening, taking it all in, you know. And because they were asking the question of how can that happen? It's the question of sin. I mean, it's the question of when you dehumanize other people, you can do terrible things to other people. So then the second time, the next month I went, we were reading a book called Just Mercy, which is written by an African-American lawyer who helps defend people who are on death row and they're innocent. Now, that book was an eye-opener 
Such a shocker. So I went to the group meeting for that. We were talking about justice and mercy and what goes on in the prison system. And at the end of the meeting, this is what they said. The, the lady who facilitated said, what is your overall takeaway from the book? And they went around the table and everybody said, hopeless, 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 hopeless. And I thought, God, give me courage. When it came to me, I said, you know, I said, I'm not hopeless. I said, because I, I'm a person of faith. And the Bible, the, I didn't say Bible, I said the scriptures are full of justice and mercy. Humans can't bring it together perfectly, but God can. And one lady looked at me and she said, are you serious? Do you really have hope? I said, yes, I do. I believe that I'm going to have an open door to, to, to minister to her because she's going through a terrible time of depression. Mm-hmm. Folks, this, 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 is, this is real life, everyday stuff. And, and so there, there has to be change in our lives. So go to the next one. So here's the question. Well, not, not, I'm not there yet. Here's this, what this guy said. He's a Puritan. He was a Puritan. The greatest difficulty in conversion is to win the heart to God. Okay? The greatest difficulty after conversion is to keep the heart with God. Heart work is hard work indeed. Now that is true. Heart work is hard work indeed. Because our hearts, the Bible, you know how the Bible describes our hearts. Deceitfully wicked, a mixture of motives, all kinds of stuff going on. Heart work is hard work. So go to the next one. Now, when I want to look at Colossians 2 and 3, and I want to show you the difference between false formation and true formation. Because, folks, a lot of people are trapped in trying to change themselves in ways that will never work. And Paul talks about this in Colossians chapters 2 and 3. So in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse um, 18, he says, look, I'm sorry, verse 18, verse 16. He says, look, don't let anyone pass judgment on you in regards to food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are the shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism, worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to things like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But Paul writes, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. In other words, it looks good, it sounds good, but it's not going to help one bit. False formation. False formation. Next slide. Look at this. Paul's saying, yes, we want to change, but these ways don't have any value in changing our hearts. Self-made religion. How many of you ever tried to create your own kind of change my life path? You know, okay, I'm going to do, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do this, this, and this. You know, kind of like a self-made. I'm going to do it, right? It works for a while. Didn't work very long. Asceticism. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do certain things anymore. You know, the people that back in the, you know, back centuries ago said they'd go out and they, there were people that actually climbed to a top of a pole 
And they chained themselves there. And they were ascetics. They thought, well, I'll get holier if I just sit on top of the pole for years. And, I mean, people actually did that. Uh, that or say, you know, certain things, you know, I'm not going to do certain things. I'm going to be severe to my body, you know, um, because that will make me holy. Or I'm going to have certain regulations. Don't handle this. Don't taste. Don't touch. Folks, it's religiosity. And it won't change a thing. Except that Jesus will not be happy because the people that Jesus was the most unpleased with were who? The religious leaders who looked good on the outside because of all the things they did to make themselves look good. And on the inside, Jesus said, you are like a whitewashed grave, a bunch of vipers. You look good on the outside, you stink on the inside, and I don't like it. Those were the people Jesus was most angry with. So this is not true formation, folks. True formation, if you go to the next slide. This is, um, we can go to the next one, you can skip that one. True <laughs> formation, next one. Um, is this what Paul describes as putting off and putting on. I want to, this is this process of change, and it's gradual. It is this, uh, one guy said, I read, he said, you know, Christian formation, the formation of the heart, is the slowest of all movements. And it is true. Putting off, putting on, putting off anger, wrath, malice, slander, lying, impurity, sexual immorality, idolatry, coveting, evil desires. Put off those things. But put on a different kind of self. Compassion. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiving, sexual purity, bearing with one another, love. Put on the new self. That's what Paul talks about in Colossians 2 and Colossians 3. Put off, put on. It's like a new a change of clothing. <laughs> Does it happen quickly? No. It happens slowly. How does it happen? It happens in relationship with the living God through the redemption of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Like, wow, Lord, why did I just do that? Wow, why did I just do that, Lord? Change me, Father. Why am I, what's going on in my heart right now? Why am I feeling this way about that person? Why am I struggling? What's, you, you can see, we see the things that are going on, but it's not, it's a relationship with a loving God who says, I love you, I'm not going to give up on you, I'm going to change you because I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. If you go to the next one, I just have a couple of other thoughts here. Um, it is the double cure. It is the double cure. We are saved from sin and wrath, but what are we saved to? Uh, a lot of times when I was growing up, I only heard the first one. What are you saved from? What are you saved from? What are we saved to? We are saved to a changed life that reflects the kingdom and that spills over into everybody we encounter and everything we do. It is the kingdom work. That we are image bearers, re, 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 uh, reflecting who God is to other people. How compassionate are we? How kind are we? How, how, how loving are we? Um, go to the next one. 
This is the two more comments. Christian formation is not done in isolation. That's why the body of Christ is so important. It's very important to belong to a community of faith because we cannot change ourselves alone. Because the Bible says iron sharpens iron, right? You know, I always tell people, when I, a lot of times I tell people, look, you know, if you're single and you live alone, you'll have an elevated <coughs> idea of your spirituality you know, and your character. <laughs> because you're not in conflict with anybody. Maybe yourself sometimes. But, you know, you're not bumping up against anybody. As soon as you're living with somebody, you all of a sudden, you see, like, how rotten you can be sometimes, you know. You see it, you know. And, um, and it's like... We were called to community. We cannot change by ourselves. We have to have people in our lives to bump, to bounce off things. People that will love us enough to sh- speak into our lives. And so our lives change slowly, but they do change, folks. If we're truly believers, our lives do change. By the grace of God, power of the Holy Spirit, in community, and choices and habit patterns that form and shape us. And the last comment is that Christian formation has to be real, folks, lived in modern, in the culture of the society we live in. It has to be real. Just like Jesus pointed us to the Father and showed us the kingdom of God, we are called to reflect what the kingdom really looks like in everyday life. And that means with real people in real neighborhoods, real jobs, real situations, real grocery stores, we have to... Um, be engaged with our formation in the in the middle of life, or else it's what good is it? What good is it if we come to church on Sunday and it doesn't make any difference how we live Monday to Saturday? What good is it? It's a, it's just a it's just a religious activity, but that's not what Jesus calls us to. You know, recently uh, I want to turn this part off now, uh, Bill. Okay, I got it.